Good morning, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name's Tim Baghurst, joined with a special guest this morning, Rocco Grimaldi, professional athlete, ice hockey player. Rocco, thanks so much for joining me. If you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Um, well, I was born and raised in California. Um, you know, started playing hockey at the age of four, and eventually when I was 12 years old, I had the opportunity to move to Michigan uh, to continue to pursue my hockey career. And, um, you know, at 12 years old, you're like, man, that's a big move for a family to move just for, for you to play hockey. And, and it was. My parents sacrificed a lot. Um, they both were retired from their jobs at the time. My dad actually took early retirement just to make the move with us. So my parents sacrificed a lot, and, you know, they basically went bankrupt uh, doing so. And so, honestly, the only reason I'm here is because of all the sacrifice that, that they put in just to have a little 12-year-old kid uh, to try to chase a dream. But they believed in me, and I believed in myself. And it was obviously a longer road than I expected to get to where I am today. Um, but without their sacrifice, I wouldn't be here. So uh, at the age of 12, like I said, I moved to Michigan, stayed there for six years, played for a team called Little Caesars, like the pizza company for four years, uh, and then went two years to the U.S. national program. Uh, had a great time with both of those teams and then eventually went to the University of North Dakota for three years, played there and, and obviously loved my time there as well. Um, and then I signed my first professional contract and now here Year six already, um, playing for the Nashville Predators. This is our second year here, my wife and I. So um, it's been a long journey to get here. I was up and down in the minors for four years, actually a, a bit of the fifth year as well. Um, didn't expect to be in the minors for that long. Didn't expect to go up and down that much, but really went through the ringer. I think I played two years in the Florida Panthers organization. I think I only played 37 games in two years um, in the NHL with them. Was traded to the Colorado Avalanche and played only 10 games in two years in the NHL with that organization, uh, and then signed as a free agent with Nashville. And I think I played over 100 games just in Nashville alone. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of up and down. It's been a lot of struggle and um, fighting to stay with it and, and keep the dream alive. I know two years ago I was sitting there and wondering if I even wanted to play hockey anymore and was wondering if it was worth it and would I ever make it. And... Um, I just knew that I had to I had to keep going for people like like what I was talking about with my parents, all the sacrifices that they made. They made so many sacrifices and there's no way I was going to quit and basically say, yeah, thanks for sacrificing all this, but it's too hard and it's been too long. I've waited too long and it's, yeah, it's not worth it. There's too many people that have sacrificed so much for me and um, I'm grateful for their sacrifice because that really kept me going in the dark times. And, and now we're here in Nashville and um, like I said, in my second year and hopefully the season will, will come back in the next month or two. That'd be, that'd be awesome. And, and we can finish because uh, our team was on a, a good roll when, when uh, the season was put on pause and hopefully we can continue and, and hopefully make it run at the cup. You talked about moving when you were 12 and, and I'm sure that was just an incredible transition for you to go from California to, to Michigan you growing up, did you feel that pressure of, you know, this has all been done for me, I better not fail? And and how did you kind of deal with that pressure if you had it? Honestly, I didn't really feel any pressure. Um, I know, I knew what my parents were sacrificing to, to let me pursue this dream and this opportunity. Um, but I feel like more of the pressure came, I guess, from myself. I wasn't, I wasn't the pressure from outside sources that I felt. It was more pressure from myself. Like you, you got to do this. You're going to make it. And it wasn't almost, it wasn't really like I was, Hey, you have to make it. It was like, you're going to make it. It was more belief, I guess. Um, and I think the, the best thing that I have that's been instilled in me 
by my parents and that I honestly I feel is a blessing from God is just a work ethic and a belief in that work ethic. Um, I love to, to do extra. Uh, I know you spoke with my trainer a couple weeks ago, Anthony Miranda. Um, mm-hmm. He can attest to this. I love doing extra. I love staying after. I love working on extra things. Uh, and a lot of people will consider that extra as work and as hard. And while it is, uh, I don't really consider it that. I consider it fun. Like, I love to do it. And I don't think a lot of people have that. Um, so I think, like you said, was there pressure? No, because I already was doing so much extra to achieve that, that I didn't feel pressure. I just, I just thought of it as fun and I enjoyed doing it. Um, and that's something that I'm grateful that my parents instilled in me um, at a young age, hard work and to love what you do. And so, no, there wasn't really any pressure. It was more like, I'm going to do this because I love to do it. You, you talked about having to kind of move up and down in the minors to the majors, to the minors and back and forth. And, and I'm sure that was, as you talked about already, it being a mental battle uh, of just, you made it. No, you didn't. You did. You didn't. How do you, how do you kind of adjust moving into a, a new team as you had to and, and fit into a different culture? What strategies did you find useful in order to be successful in those environments? Yeah, well, anytime you get sent down, it's not easy. Um, yeah. I feel like some people will say it gets easier every time you get sent down, but I honestly think each time is just as terrible as the, as the first, you know, the times before. Uh, and I, I've probably been sent down, I'd probably say 12 different times. Wow. Um, like I said, it never gets easier. And, you know, the anytime you hear, hey, coach wants to see you or whatever they want to see in the office, you know exactly what's coming. Um, and so, no, I think... I think I've taken it two different ways. Uh, I've taken it one way where you're really disappointed because like I said, as a young kid, I had this expectation and you know, there wasn't a pressure from outside. It was more pressure from myself. And so this expectation was, I'm going to make it. And so when someone tells you, Nope, you're going to go to the minors because my expectation was so high, I felt like super crushed by it. Mm-hmm. And I think my attitude was affected at times, not all the time, but there was times when I had a bad attitude about it where maybe I thought, you know, why did I get sent down? Like I played really well. I thought I did enough and um, things like that. Um, so I've had that attitude at times, which is, it's really tough. And you see it a lot with guys in the minors. Like I've been around a lot and you see that. Um, but there were the other times when I really had, you know, that's not the way I'm supposed to think. That's not how my parents raised me. And then there's the other thought. And actually this is the, this is the thought process I had in year five. So imagine your fifth year, you, you're sent down again, third organization. So now, you, now you're thinking, it's definitely not just that team. It's not just those teams. It's every team that is sending me down. Um, and so that fifth year, I remember driving, I got sent down as the last, um, last send down of camp. My wife and I got in the car to drive to Milwaukee, which is about a nine hour drive from Nashville. And for the first half of the drive, I was obviously upset, disappointed, like here we go again, like I'm never gonna make it. And the thoughts were going to the negative way. And then halfway through the drive, for whatever reason, I started thinking, you know what, let's, let's try to change the script. We had this narrative, we had this negative thought process quite a bit in those four years. How about we switch it? And I started thinking about the positive. You know what? You had a great camp in Nashville. This is a new team. This is not, this isn't Colorado. This isn't Florida. It doesn't have to be the same as your former teams. It doesn't have to be the same as your former, um, you know, expectations. This is something new. These are new people. This is a new year. So let's go down. Let's have a great attitude. Let's be a great teammate. Let's make sure the Milwaukee Admirals are the best team in the AHL when you're there. And let's have fun doing it. And so my attitude switched and, and I, and I really felt like, I don't know, different on the inside. And when I went down there, uh, had a great attitude. Our team was awesome. I think we were nine and one or something to start the season. 
we were the best team in the league. I was playing great. Um, and I got a chance to go back up. Three weeks later, I got called up. Went up for a month, was in and out of the lineup, six games in, six games out, and then got sent down. And obviously, once again, here we go again. You get sent down, like, oh, it was just another call up. It wasn't like a for real stick uh, up in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, let's just go back. Let's do it again. Well, two days later, I got recalled up, and I've never been sent down again. So it's just like you honestly never know um, how close you are to being a full-time NHL player or, or to really step into that dream. And because of all the, the past experiences I've had, you know, I was called up for a week. I've been called up for a day. I've been called up for a month. I've been called up for any amount of time and I've never stuck. And so I think those experiences made this one really hard to like wonder, am I really an NHL player? Am I really going to stick? Mm-hmm. And that's honestly just a mental battle you have to go through every day. You have to take it a day at a time. So for me, when I was last year trying to make the team and trying to stay, I was like, you know what, let's take it a day at a time. Let's go every game, do your best. Every practice, do your best. Every every workout. Uh, and I think it just makes makes it a lot easier to focus a day at a time. And I think as well, there's, there's definitely a lot of strain put on your family, right? It's not just you going through this. It's, it's your whole team that has to experience what you're experiencing as well. Yeah, so I... I've been married for almost four years now. Uh, thankfully, we don't have any kids right now just because of the craziness of the up and down. And, uh, yeah, we've we've lived in hotels for very long periods of time. Um, last year, actually, alone in Nashville, um, from the end of October until the end of January, we were in a hotel. Wow. And, and that's not – I mean – if you're a single guy and you're young, like by yourself, like maybe it's not as tough. Like it, it still is because my first two years, I lived in a hotel for the entire year, my first years. And it was okay. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you have a wife and you have people that are relying on you and that aren't sure uh, if they can get a job in that city, because they don't know if you're going to be there more than a day or a week or whatever, it's tough. And it weighed on us and it's not easy living in a hotel, a small hotel, um, it's just, it's not glamorous. And I think a lot of people think professional athletes, like there's so much fun and money and glitz and glamor and everything's awesome, but they don't realize that there's a lot of struggles to, to get to where we're at and to stay where we're at. Yeah. I was sacrifice by, you know, my, I guess my parents, my wife to sacrifice comfort and different things. And it's, uh, it was a struggle, but you know, we're here right now and now I'm trying to stay. And, and so now that you you are here, you talked about playing over 100 games. Um, how how what is the difference? Do you think that has caused you to be in a position where you can thrive and be successful and stay successful versus those other situations where, for whatever reason, you you didn't make it and you got cut and you went back down? Um, I think there's two things. Um, I think it's confidence for me, mm-hmm. um, knowing that you belong. I feel sometimes. Uh, I didn't think that I belonged. I was looking at other guys in the locker room and seeing like, wow, I'm playing with Aaron or Yager, whoever. You're like, wow, I don't belong here. <laughs> right. um, so confidence is thing. The more you play, the more comfortable you'll get. And that's just like in any situation, any job you walk into, you're probably not going to be super comfortable right away. But the more you're there, the more you're with guys, um, the more comfortable you get, the more confident you get. And I think that's been a good transition for me. But I also think it's just opportunity. And this team and this organization has done a great job of giving me opportunity. And I think I've done great with that opportunity. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of people in life that will say like, Oh, if only I would just get an opportunity. I never get opportunities, but there's also 
once an opportunity is presented, no matter if it's a big opportunity or a small opportunity, because most of my opportunities were very small, limited minutes, fourth line minutes. But I think a lot of people just think if I can get an opportunity, but it's not if you get an opportunity, is what do you do if a small opportunity comes? And that's what I was focused on. I was like, you know what? As long as I'm in the lineup, I don't care if I play five minutes this game. I don't care if I play 15. Like, I got to do the best that I can do with these minutes. And I think I did a great job. They gave me opportunity. My minutes went from like six to eight to 10 to, you know, in the playoffs, I was playing closer to 12. And then this year, I've, I've been averaging 13 or whatever. So it's the opportunity's been there, but I've been doing a good job with the opportunity. Uh, the trust from the coaching staff uh, has been good. Um, I've been able to, to, to do what they want for me. And like I said, when there's an opportunity that's presented, you just have to take it and run with it. Yeah, sorry. I just moved myself in there instead of you. You're good. The, the challenge then is, is always being ready and, and waiting for your number to be called when, you know, you're that role player. And, and a lot of players don't like that position, right? They, they want to be in there. They want to, Put me in coach and show me, show me, let me show you what I have versus let me show you what I have in practice that tells you you have to put me in. And so there's a, a definitely a mindset there and a positive attitude, even when you know that you may not be the superstar or always on the, on the ice. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. Like, like I said, I was scratched six games and I played six games. In my first 12, I was literally 50 50, whether I was in the game or in the stands. And so I knew to try to get back in the lineup, um, I was just practice was my games at that point. Like I had to go into practice and I had to do the best that I could. And I had to try to impress the coaches in practice. And that was my game. Um, so that's what I did for a long time before I finally was established in the lineup. But a perfect story and a perfect example is end of the year. Um, I was basically established in the lineup for, I'd say 30 straight games. So a, few, a couple months or whatever. And then I broke broke my rib and was out for three weeks. Well, the team moves on with, without you when you're injured. Uh, mm -hmm. Our team went on a great stretch. I think they were seven, two and one or eight and two or something to end the season. Uh, won the division, was playing great. Obviously when a team's playing that great, you're not gonna change the lineup no matter how good someone right. was playing, you know, unless you're, you're a superstar, different. But if you're a role guy, the team's playing great. You're, you don't need to change. Um, so the playoffs started in game one. I still wasn't cleared. And after game one, I was actually cleared. So after the game finished, I went to the doctor. They cleared me. Well, before game two, I was still going to be scratched. I wasn't going to play because the team was, was playing good without me. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to stay ready just in case. So um, in the playoffs, usually you have the team will skate together, and then you have the guys who are scratched that will skate together. Separate them to have the, the game guys have get more reps, be more focused, and so on. So I was with the scratch group and it's tough. You know, there's seven of you out there by yourself. You kind of feel like I'm not really part of the team. I don't think I'm going to play. Like it's going to take a really bad injury because everyone plays through injuries and in playoffs and hockey. Um, but you got to stay ready. And so game two, uh, I think it was a 5 p.m. game. And so the team didn't skate, only the scratches did. So we're on the ice at 9 a.m. I get pulled off the ice and say, hey, I think you might be playing today. So you got to be ready. I was like, okay. And in your mind, when you're, when you're told that you might play, but you probably won't, you're like, okay, I'm going to take warm-ups, and then I'm going right back to the stands. Like, it's it's tough to focus. And it might be like, what do you mean? You're like, you get to play a game, maybe. It's like, well, it's really hard when you're not sure you're going to do something, and you have to train like you are going to do it. But most mm -hmm. likely, 90% of the time, you're not. Um, and so I remember one of my teammates came over, Dan Hamhues, who's a veteran, played over 1,100 games, great guy. And he came over to me as I was getting my skates off, because I was the only guy that was off from the seven that were skating. And he goes, 
well, you guys are off really quick. What happened? I was like, well, coach actually pulled me off, said I might have to play tonight. And he said, you might have to, or you get to play. And I was like, from that point on, I just like snapped in my mind, like I might have to play tonight. Or no, I get to play. Like I get to play in the playoffs in front of the craziest fans in the NHL. Game two against the Dallas Stars. And so my mind flipped. And sure enough, an hour later, I got the call. Yeah, you're for sure going to play. And I went into that game. I scored a goal and was a plus two. And we won two to one in overtime. And if I honestly, if I wasn't ready and I had that might play mindset, I don't think I would have had the success I had. I don't know if our team would have had that success. And it's just about staying ready, and I mean that's what it, that's what a good teammate is. If someone goes down, you have to step in and be able to take that role and, and do his job because he's expecting that from you. If I go out of the lineup, I expect the next guy to come in because that's what a team does. So that was a uh, I guess a perfect example of that. Well, if you're just joining us, everybody, uh, if you have questions for Rocco, be sure to put them in your chat box and we'll get them to him. Now, ice hockey players are are kind of prone to, to injuries, given that the style of, of game that you play. There's a lot of contacts, and um, I'm, I'm sure you've had more than just kind of some rib injuries in your career. What kind of injuries have you had, and, you know, how do you mentally kind of get back to where you were before you had that injury? Yeah, well, this year it's my face that's been getting rearranged by pucks and sticks this year, so I'm, <laughs> I've, I've lost uh, lost a tooth this year, and I've gotten yeah, my, my lips have been rearranged a few times by pucks, and it's been tough. But, um, no, other than that, I uh, thankfully, I've, I've been pretty injury-free. I mean, I've had little things here and there, but um, I've been injury-free for quite quite some time. But definitely the worst injury I had was my first year in college. Freshman year, um, I took a slap shot in the knee in my first practice, <laughs> and they thought it was a fractured uh, kneecap, but it ended up being a bipartite patella, which is basically – when you're a baby, your, your, your kneecaps in two, and then eventually it fuses into one. And mine never did, which was a really rare condition. And so um, we tried, there's three options. You can play through it. So we tried playing through it. It hurt so bad, could barely move, and skating is my biggest, my biggest asset. Couldn't do anything. All right, let's move on to number two. Sit there and rest for six weeks. Hopefully it just kind of heals itself. You'll be good to go. Did number two, waited six weeks, came back, felt the exact same. No better at all. Probably worse. So we're like, okay, we got to go to number three uh, surgery. So in January, I got the surgery. And, you know, it was basically, it's almost like an ACL surgery. It's just as long. Um, they said it would be at least a six-month recovery. I think they said five. And it took me about eight or nine, I believe. So it was frustrating. It was really hard, uh, especially when they tell you five. Usually, like, five, okay, I'll do it in four. But for whatever reason, it just was never getting better. Um and it was really tough. I remember going into school in August and like, man, I'm still only skating for like 30 minutes, three times a week. Like, this is not good. And eventually it just started feeling better and better and I felt more comfortable. But I think the hardest thing is, is just your time and space. You know, you can skate, you can do skill work, you can shoot pucks all you want with, with no goalie and with no pressure. But it's it's having defensemen on you. It's having guys who are really good active sticks, um, goalies that can make crazy saves. It's all about time and space, and I think that was the hardest thing. It took me a, a little while to get it down, um, but I think if, if you're an athlete at this level, it just takes a little bit to get that down. But I think the biggest mental block is the comfortableness and knowing that your injury is good to go. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, physically you feel good, but mentally you're not sure. So for me, like, even when I came back from the broken rib last year, it was the first time I got hit, and I was like, 
I'm good. <laughs> that you like know like you're good because you're not sure. You're, like it's healthy, but what if it gets hit by you know a guy who's six seven? Because there's big dudes and everything. Like what happens? And once you get that first hit or that first like tweak, you know, for me it was when my with my knee when I was trying to turn it just you know turn quickly. Like will it be able to withstand? Um, I think that's when you find that like yeah I'm comfortable. Let's play. Well, we, we did have a question. It's from Margo. She says, um, I, I'm assuming she's talking about some of those facial injuries. Are they considered badges of honor? <laughs> uh, I guess it's, uh, it depends on who you're asking. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if my, like my wife, my mom think it's cool that I, I got missing teeth. Like I'm wearing my teeth right now, so you can't tell, but, um, I guess eventually you just get used to it and now it's, it's a bunch of stories. So I guess it's okay. <laughs> Now, you've been coached by a lot of different coaches, having moved around to, to a lot of different teams, and uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different styles of coaching uh, throughout your career. If I was to ask you, uh, if, if I was your coach, how do you like to be coached? What would you tell me? Um, for me, I, I like to be taught things, but I don't like to be, I guess, overtaught. So, like, there's been coaches in the past where they'll – They'll tell me something after like every shift. And for me, it's just like, okay, I just want to play. Like I can't constantly have people feeding stuff into my ear, but I like when they tell me stuff once in a while to think about, because for me, it's just like, if I read a book, like if I read a book, I don't retain everything that the book's telling me. I'll retain one or two things. And I'm like, wow, that was really like amazing. I, I got to remember this. Um, so for me, I, I feel like sometimes when coaches are kind of in your ear all the time saying different things, this, that, this, that, it, for me, it's just like in one ear, out the other, because I can't process so much information. Um, I think that's one thing. But I think another thing, too, is, is uh, you know, I just I just actually one of my my coaches from when I was a kid just passed away a few weeks ago. And he was one of the best coaches I've ever had, if not the best. And one of the, the best things about him was that he treated all of us the same. And one story that I that I like telling is uh, I think I was 10 years old. And in California at that time, I think there were like three or four good teams out of like the 12 that were in the, the division that we were in. And so most of the time you'd run the score up on everyone. It'd be 10 nothing. You'd have four goals. And it's like, you know, it's whatever. It's fun, but it's not real, real hockey. But finally, when you played those few teams, it'd be a good game. So we were playing this team and it was finally a game that was a big game. And it was 1-1. And I was one of our one of our better players and obviously play a lot of minutes. And I remember it was 1-1 in the third period. And I don't know if I took a long shift or what happened. He, I came off, he said something to me, and I said something back to him. And he benched me. And I didn't play the rest of that game. We ended up winning 2-1. to one. And I remember being like, that is, that's an amazing coach. One that doesn't matter if it's the best player on the team or the worst player on the team. If you do something that's disrespectful to the coach or you break a rule, you put yourself above the team, that the consequences are going to be the same no matter who you are. And that's something that he did and that I was really impressed by. Um, and I think that just speaks volumes of a coach. And mm. I think it's tough today in sports because everyone's about winning and winning's number one, winning's number one, even at kids levels, you'll see it like winning's number one and the best players kind of do whatever they want. And it's really sad that these kids are, are being taught that they can do whatever they want. And I think for this coach and for their coaches I've had, they've done a great job of making sure everyone knows that you're never above the team. And like, I, I hate the, the saying, there's no I in team. I think it's cheesy, but it's honestly true. Like when one person is putting themselves above the team, but their coach is allowing them to, it's such a cancer to a team. And I think with, with my coach, Jack Bocas and other coaches I've had, 
I think that's it. probably the biggest thing you can do for your team. And the way that I love to be coached and to see coaches is that everyone's equal. If you do, if you do something wrong, you're going to pay whatever consequence that you basically have set up for that team. Mm. Uh, one of the questions that came in as well is, is talking a little bit about the current environment. And the question is, has the organization provided you with the necessary tools to retain fitness? And do you have any struggles trying to kind of maintain your readiness to come back and play? Um, for me, no, I've, I've had a lot of great trainers. Um, I've been able to train with some of the best in, in the country, best in the world. And I've been around the block for a long time and, um, know what my body will need to, to be ready and be prepared. But I think our team's done a great job. So, um, David Good, who's our strength coach here in Nashville actually was sent out a message to us, I think about a month ago, I think it was like two weeks into us being quarantined and, and said, Hey guys, um, I'm sure you, most of you don't have much at your house. If you guys need weights or bands or uh, equipment, whatever you need, just let me know. So he brought me over a couple sets of kettlebells, a couple sets of dumbbells, some bands and a bike. So that's, uh, that's been great. I mean, just having a couple of different weights. I mean, for me, it's not like, oh, I need 20s to 80s to do. It's just like I have a pair of 25, pair of 50s. I have 16 and 24 kilo uh, kettlebells. Like, that's all I really need. Uh, mm. And then my trainer, Anthony Miranda, has, has been sending me workouts every day. I've been doing those. And it's been a lot of good circuit work. And um, I've really enjoyed doing that. I've actually FaceTimed one of my best friends. And we, we go through workout the workout together. And it's good to have a partner and have, you know, routine doing it every morning. But um, for me, no, it's, you know, I guess the, the biggest, biggest difference for us compared to other athletes is, well, how do you stay hockey ready? Because you can't skate. Right. And nothing translates to the ice. Biking doesn't, running doesn't, nothing is the same as skating. Uh, and so for me, I had my parents send me my rollerblades. That's the only thing you can do that, to be the same as, you know, skating on the ice. So I've taken my rollerblades outside in the, in the neighborhood and, done different sprints with them and took a stick and tried to stick handling the ball and um, just doing whatever I can to stay ready just in case the season does come back. And if you're just joining us, if you have questions for Anthony, be sure to, to put them in your chat box. Looking, looking kind of from an athlete's perspective, if somebody maybe watching is in college and, and, and an ice hockey player and wants to kind of get to the quote unquote, the next level, which I, I hate that term and I can't believe I just used it. Um, <laughs> How, how, from your perspective, what do they need to do? What characteristics do they need to have uh, in order to be successful? Well, I think, honestly, I think character is something that, that is overlooked at times. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes people see this all, you know, someone that has all the skill in the world and they're kind of just automatically drawn to that person. But there's actually a lot of people that are drawn to just people of character. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you know, kids don't realize that, or even collegiate athletes don't realize that. And they just think that I got to be the best so that I'm seen. I have to be the one with the most goals and points. That's always not really what's true. I think teams are looking for people of character for one. And two, I think they're looking for people that are consistent. I think those, the two C's are like the biggest things. And for me, that's what I learned from a young age. Like, it doesn't matter if you have a great game. Oh, I scored a hat trick last game. Well, so you know what, in, in our league, it doesn't really matter because we either play back-to-backs or we're playing every two or three days. So what I did yesterday, it does not matter what I, about today at all. You know, the, the Kings don't care at all what I did to the Ducks the day before. Like, it doesn't matter, you know. And so I think consistency is something that teams look for because there's players that can have game, great games and all they scored four points and all they were the best player on the ice. And then the next game, you know, they're, they, they're not there. And I think for – 
to be a professional athlete, to play 82 games plus playoffs, you have to be consistent. And obviously, you're not going to have your best game every night. Of course, no one is. You're going to have off nights. Um, but it's what you do the next night. If you have an off night, how are you going to respond? If you have a great game, are you just going to relax and think, oh, I had a great game? Or are you going to respond again and say, I'm going to have another one? And I think just having character and consistency are huge. So if you can try to um, gain that at a young age, gain that when you're in college trying to make the pros, I think that's something that's really important. And do you ever plan for a, an exit strategy, knowing that you're not going to be a hockey player forever? What, what do you do in order to, to kind of have that process of, okay, what do I do when I'm done? Yeah, I've, I'm not encouraging uh, you to retire, by the way. This is just a, a general question. Tim? <laughs> no, I've, no, I, this honestly is something I think about a lot. Um, even, even when I was younger, before I'd even made the NHL, um, I, I thought about it because it's important because hockey is not going to last forever. What I'm going to do after hockey, God willing, is going to be longer than what I do in hockey. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for me, when I was younger, I, I think until the age of about 16 to 18, I, I wanted to be a pastor. That was actually one of my um, biggest dreams after hockey was to be a pastor. But then once I went into college and started, I guess, getting into my 20s, uh, that process changed. So I don't want to be a pastor, but I, I do want to be a speaker. I, I want to go into different churches or different groups, organizations. I want to share my story because I think I've, I've gone through a lot of ups and downs, a little bit of what I shared. And I can obviously go into greater detail, but I think the realness of my story and how I've been pushed down so much and had to keep, you know, keep fighting to, to move up, I think that relates to a lot of people in their jobs, whether it's sports or anything, honestly. There's people that are always pushed down or told you can't do something. And for me, I'm the smallest player in the NHL, and so people are always, you know, size has been an issue. Um, so I know there's been people that have things that they can't control that people all automatically say, well, you can't do it because of this. And, you know, I want to share my story to encourage, you know, kids, uh, people that are in their 20s, even even adults um, that are kind of, you know, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore because X and Y said I can't. Uh, I want to share my story and do that. So I want to be a speaker. I want to encourage. I want to, you know, I want to be an author one day. I've actually wrote a little bit of a, a first book, but just kind of scribble notes. Nothing. Really I was going to ask about that. Yeah, it sounds like it yeah. would be a very interesting book because you've got, like you said, a lot of highs and lows mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh, look at my career trajectory, which was just success, success, success. Can you pronounce that? Exactly. No, I think because, you know, if, you know, if I was Sidney Crosby and I'm sitting here, like, of course, you'd want to hear my story because you're like, I'm, this is like the greatest player we've probably seen in, in the last century or whatever. Like this is one of the greatest players we've seen, but you can't relate to him because he's such like, he's on his own level. He's so good. And he's just, just kind of went right to the NHL. And obviously his story is impressive and it's amazing. Everyone wants to hear it, but people can't relate to that. And I think, I think God's been able to give me a story that's relatable to people of struggles. And I've had mountaintops and then all of a sudden I've had valleys and I've had the highs and the lows and I've had to fight through, um, what people have said about me, but even more what I've said about myself and the doubt that I've had in my own mind. And I think that's the hardest battle that people fight. It's not what you, you fight against other people and what their opinions are. I think it's, it's what's right between your ears and in, in, in your own mind and what you tell yourself every morning if you're not good enough or you can't do it or this is never going to happen. And I think I've had a lot of those fights, and I think a lot of people do too, and I can encourage them just with, with how I've been able to fight through it. Well, Anthony Miranda, your trainer's watching, and he says I, he wants to be an author too. Uh, <laughs> well, me and Anthony it, need to write a book, book together. Anthony, you like my shirt? <laughs> <laughs> he does have a question. He says, uh, hey, Rock, how important is it for you to train off the ice? Everyone knows the importance of lifting and conditioning, 
But what about the intangibles, such as the relationship with your trainer trainers and the cohesion built in the weight room with them? He's setting himself up to get some love. I mean, come on, Anthony, we know you. Anthony Miranda is my favorite. <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll answer his question. It's uh, off-ice training is, is, is really important. I think for me, that's something that I've always prided myself in. Um, like I'm a gym rat. Like I said earlier, I love being around the gym. I love doing extra stuff. I love just kind of hanging out. It's fun. But like, like I said, I've had a lot of trainers in my years. I've had a lot of really good ones. But I think things that separate the best, and honestly, Anthony is like the man. I love him so much. I've been with him for the last three years, and now I guess consider this my fourth year. And he's, he's the man. I love him. And I think the thing about our relationship that's so good is that we, I can tell him, hey, you know what? I don't think this exercise is, is really working for me. It's that my shoulders don't feel good doing this. And he'll be like, okay, let's try this then. Um, there's been trainers in the past who are like, you just kind of do this, and this is the only way that they do it. They're kind of stuck in their ways. Um, but Anthony and some of my other trainers that I've had aren't like that. And if I, can, if I tell him, hey, like this doesn't feel good, because not everything's going to feel good for you, um, they'll be like, well, I have, you know, B, C, and D that we can try instead of just A. And then, oh, B doesn't work either. Oh, how about C? C works. Great. And I think having that relationship with a trainer is really important because a lot of people, especially kids that are teenagers, they'll be doing things off the ice that, that are not feeling good in their bodies. And they'll just keep yeah. doing it because they can't, they feel afraid to tell their trainer because he's going to think they're soft or whatever. And for me, like, I think the relationship that Anthony and I have, we have a good open communication, like, hey, this doesn't feel good. Okay, let's try this. And also, and he'll tell you this, it's funny, but I'm very, with my training, I'm very regimented and I want to know why are we doing this? What is the point of this? And so when I first started working with him, I asked him a hundred questions. What are we doing this for? What am I supposed to feel here? Why is this good on the ice? All this stuff. And he took it like a champ and he was like, this is what we're doing. This is why we do it. Um, this is what you're going to feel, all this stuff. And I think for me, just to pursue like wanting to know why we're doing this, how does this relate to the ice? I think it is important because, like I said, nothing translates to the ice that you can do off the ice. Nothing. Cause it's such a unique sport. Um, but the way he incorporates different movements and things and says, this is what you're going to feel. Think about this situation on the ice. This is, this is how you're going to move. Um, I think that's really vital and really important and why we've gotten along so well. I uh, had another question come in. Sugavan says, how do you keep elevated and maintain continuous levels of focus during a game? I find staying focused while playing racquetball hard, whereas you can hear some players say, I have all the time to hit, hit a ball, or I'm seeing the ball as big as a soccer ball out there. How do you keep that laser focus? Uh, and it makes sense given the fact that you're on and off and on and off throughout the game. Yeah, I mean, that's, for us, like we're only on the ice for about 30, 40 seconds at a time. And like mm -hmm. I said, for me, I'm playing about 12, 13 minutes a game. So most of my time is spent on the bench, basically call it 15 minutes of on the ice and 45 minutes off the ice. And so my biggest battles aren't the 15 minutes that I'm on the ice. So the 45 minutes that I'm off the ice, it's what I'm doing while I'm sitting on the bench, while I'm watching, um, while I'm seeing what's going on, while I'm seeing how the game's unfolding, I'm seeing momentum swing from one to the other. Uh, it's how I'm recovering, if I'm drinking water, if I'm moving my legs to try to keep them um, from getting stiff. And I think for me, the way I try to stay ready is I try to, I try to stay ready by watching the game, by seeing uh, how players are playing, to see what's working, what's not working for our team, um, see how different guys on their team play. 
So for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a winger. Uh, I've been playing left wing most of this year. So most of the time, I'm going to face off against a right defenseman. And so for me, I look, what right defenseman am I going to go up against most likely? So there's going to be three of them. What, is his ten, what are his tendencies in the zone? So, example, if I'm in the defensive zone and I go darting out at a right defenseman, is he going to be a guy who's going to shake and bake me and make a move and make me look silly? Or is he, he one that's just going to mostly go D to D? Is he more of a shooter? And so for me, I, I have to, to know that. I got to know who I'm going up against because um, there's guys in our league that can shake and bake like really, really well. Uh, one of the best is on our team, Roman Yossi. So if I went out and attacked Yossi, just head full of steam, he'd make a quick move right around me. There's other guys that are more um, stationary. They're more defensive. They don't have as much touch with the puck. And they're not going to do that. They're just going to throw the puck down low. So you have to know that before you go running out of the defenseman. Or if you have the puck coming into the offensive zone, you got to know, is he one that's going to um, try to come for a big hit? Or is he one that's going to sit back and just rely on his stick placement? So I think for me, watching that when you're off the ice is really important because then you'll be able to, to do your job while you're on the ice. Sounds like you're almost coaching yourself in many ways. In a way, yeah. I guess you can say that. Mm. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining me. I know if, if people watching or watching in future have some questions, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, I'd probably say social media. Um, so my Instagram or Twitter, um, they're all argermaldi 23 I think my Facebook even is the same. So, um, yeah, any of those ways would probably be the best. Hmm. Well, Rocker, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time this morning and, and kind of your insight into to what it's like to be a a professional ice hockey player and, and some of the challenges you've experienced. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Appreciate you having me. Uh, just a reminder, uh, tomorrow, Jay Hernandez from the Charlotte Hornets will be joining us to talk about his experiences as an assistant coach in the NBA and also how he got there. And then coming up later this week, Cheryl Kirk from USA Racquetball will be joining us to talk about her role as a national team leader. And then we round out the week with Sergio Scariolo, from the Toronto Raptors. He's also the national team head coach for Spain. So on behalf of myself, Rocco, thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you tomorrow.